Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it bring it to the Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hey, Kevin. Uh, yeah, thanks Thanks for having me back on. Um, really good to chat again. Um, if anyone that's interested in any Chelsea content, you can find me on Twitter at uh, StephenClark264. And I'm Dan, Arsenal fan. You can get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. It's another uh, international London club uh, podcast here with uh, Stephen from Australia and me and Dan from America. But we hope you won't hold any of that against us. Uh, I figure we'll start off with Chelsea. Obviously had a very big win against Manchester City. Uh, Leicester also kind of in the top four currently, despite a disappointing uh, loss on Friday. I was just curious if you think that they're going to be able to do enough to stave off the rest of the chasing pack or not. Yeah, well, but pers- personally, I I do think that Leicester probably is now the team that you're going to be able to catch if if you're one of those teams outside looking in uh, a West Ham or a Liverpool. Um, I I think that kind of their form has curtailed in this similar way to last season as well, where they um, obviously dropped out in the last day. Um, if you look at their fixtures as well, I, I think they, they've still got to play us um, away and they've also still got to play Manchester United as well. So I think that if you are a Liverpool potentially now maybe is the favourite coming in, um, Leicester is the team that you'll be looking at to take their spot. Yeah, I think Chelsea's pretty much safe. You know, it's not it's not officially safe, but they're in a very, very good position and they're a very good team. So I think they're, they'll be all right. Leicester, on the other hand, I think are in quite a bit of trouble as Stephen mentioned their fixture list is extremely tough um and if liverpool win their game in hand they'll be only three points back uh, and likely be able to catch them on goal difference so they'd have the tiebreaker um not that Leicester can't do it but i'm not sure i'd consider them favorites in any of their remaining games i guess at spurs spurs they'd probably be favorites to win but there's a good chunk of like a large chance they could draw which yeah, we always have also, wild matches yeah which is also it's not quite as bad because they are three. They would be three points up, so a draw is still useful. But it's any drop points is are pretty dangerous from it at this point. So, um, considering their fixture list, I think they are in a lot of danger, and I think Liverpool is absolutely has a chance to catch them and uh, make the top four. Uh, pretty much what we expected going into the season, despite <laughs> all the crazy teams that flittered in and out throughout. Yeah, that's interesting. Both of you seem to already lean Liverpool. Do you think they're the only ones with a real chance of sneaking in there, especially after West Ham and Tottenham lost at the weekend? Yeah, I, I think I think that that West Ham loss to Everton um, last night was a was probably really telling because I think now it's a five point gap to Leicester City. I think they they would really have to pretty much win all their games from here on out to to secure the spot. But even to be honest, looking at Liverpool, I mean they they're probably winning that Manchester United fixture is 
equally as important um, as well. So it, it'll, it'll, it will be really tough for someone for someone to make up that distance. And you would, you would, if you are one of those teams, you probably are hoping that Leicester do <laughs> lose at least two out of those three games. Otherwise, you don't really have a hope in hell. Um, so yeah, it, it, I probably would have Liverpool as the favourite to sneak into that fourth spot. Yeah, well, the loss to Everton was a real, real dagger for West Ham. Because um, as Stephen said, they're five points back with three games to go. Um, that's just very unlikely. The fact that Leicester's fixture list is as hard as it is means it's not over. Um, but it's very unlikely for them to make up that much ground in um, so few games. Uh, and they have to Liverpool to worry about. Because even if Liverpool only draw that game to Manchester United, um, that would put them level on points. And Liverpool have an eight-goal uh, eight advantage in goal difference. Um which with only four games for them and three games for West Ham is pretty tough to make up. Um, so not only, I think, will they struggle to catch uh, Leicester, they'll also struggle to fend off Liverpool, even if Leicester drop a lot of points. So um, I think they would have stood a really good chance if they'd beat Everton, but uh, they didn't, and now their hopes are really, really hanging by a thread. Yeah, and you mentioned that West Ham basically needed to win that one. I think that's exactly the same case with with Tottenham is they basically had to win out and see where their cards fell and the loss to Leeds pretty much the final nail in their coffin as well. <laughs> Just while we're talking about uh, these two clubs, obviously we'll get more into Chelsea uh, with Steven when we get into uh, making the rounds, but a little bit more about Leicester than with Brendan Rodgers. So he's obviously being tipped with uh, the Tottenham job. He's already said he wants to stay at Leicester. Apparently they're getting Bubakari Samare, which is a great signing as well. But if they fell short yet again, if they don't win a trophy there, um, in the FA Cup final. What would you think about Brendan Rodgers as a managerial prospect, considering he would have fallen short at the final hurdle so many times? Yeah, it's always been a really difficult one with Brendan Rodgers because I don't think anyone would deny that he's a he's a really good coach and he obviously improves the teams that he's, that he's at. Um, obviously, you look at his Swansea side um, in the early 2010s and then his yeah. Liverpool side and, and now his Leicester side. And he, what he did really well with each one of those teams is create this kind of uh, attacking side that um, really flourishes in the uh, just kind of going out and demolishing those team teams early, scoring lots of goals. Um, he's also uh, underrated, I think, at actually creating superstars as well. I think if mm. you look at um, if you if you look at some of the players over those teams, you, you would arguably say that he is the one that made Raheem Sterling the player he is today. Um, even, you know, someone like a Gilfie Sigurdsson has a lot to thank, I think, with, with Brendan Rodgers. Yeah, Sturridge had um, injuries, but he, he was never the same after Rodgers. Yep. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think you can look at those those years and even maybe probably you look at someone like Lewis Suarez and say he's inevitably going to be a superstar anyway. But um, I think that was definitely his best goal-scoring season under Rodgers as well. So, you know, he's clearly got something about him. But um, I guess you could, you would have to say if they did drop out of the top four and lose the FA Cup final to Chelsea, that um, you'd probably have to say the same thing that you said about his Liverpool side, that he's, he's just not one of these guys that can get him across the line. Um, and I think that is that is something that is really important in the modern game. You know, there's a lot of coaches that, that garner these reputations of being really strong attacking coaches but can't get across the line. I know that was a... That was a um, Kind of something that was thrown at Mauricio Sarri, rightly or wrongly, when he was at Chelsea for a long time, up until he won the Europa League, was that he wasn't a, someone who had experience winning trophies. And I think that if you are a top side, that's definitely something that you'd look at and you may pass on Rodgers just for that reason. I, I think it's a bit harsh to um, 
criticize someone for not winning trophies or for not winning a trophy and not getting top four at Leicester, which is not a top four club. Like even being in the race, I think is uh, an overperformance. Uh, and just like, I, I understand that they're in a good, they were in a good position. Um, and obviously falling out at the last hurdle is never fun, but the fact they were even in that position in, a, in the first place, I think, um, is a testament to the fact that I think he's a pretty good manager. I've always had him in my head as upper Europa League level, not probably not quite a Champions League level coach. Um, and I, I think his uh, stint at Leicester has probably fort- uh, um, fortified that thought. Um, but maybe he could, maybe he could reach the Champions League with a better team. Um, I'm still unsure. I still have him more as a Europa League level manager in my head. But I think he wouldn't. I don't think he'd be a bad appointment for. Uh, a team like Tottenham, who have been, uh, well, struggling, but still a lot of talented players that he could maybe, you know, get get them back into the Champions League just because they had the talent. Um, I'm, I'm not really sure on that, but I, I don't think he's a bad, he'd be a bad appointment. And I think the criticism that he's kind of a choker is a bit harsh when, like, this season specifically. So just just season like the well. script makes him look worse. Like if they had struggled yeah, all year and like then pushed strong at the happens. end of the year. Yeah, exactly. And both this season and last season, Leicester have strongly overperformed their underlying numbers, and then they just kind of come back down at the end of the season. Like, currently, they're plus 10 expected goal difference and plus 20 actual goal difference. Um, No matter how you slice that, that's a big overperformance, them falling back at the end of the year. And even, like, you want to look at it right now, just the fixture list. Like, if they they were in the same position, but their last three games weren't against uh, United, Chelsea, and Tottenham then they'd be in a much better position. And if they, they they'd be a, there'd be a much better chance they actually get top four. Um, but because now they have those incredibly tough teams at the end, if they don't get it, we're going to call them chokers, despite like, that's kind of unfair. Um, or if, they, if they'd had those teams earlier, they wouldn't be in this position and we wouldn't be able to call them chokers because they wouldn't be in a position to choke. Um, it's just kind of how stuff lines up has been a bit unfair. Also, that reputation started at Liverpool when his team won 12 of his last 14 games, which I I know they did te- they did really seem like they choked, but I don't think that was on him at all. And they did very well to finish the season. Um, that City side was just also a juggernaut. Um, so I don't think the choker reputation is all that fair. Um, I think he's overperformed at Leicester in his tenure and just not winning a cup or not being able to overperform with a team um, I think that's a pretty unfair reason to not hire someone. Yeah, and, and yeah, to be yeah. fair, they they still have a chance to do both things. They still have a chance to True. sit top yeah. four. They're currently in there, and they are in the FA Cup final. But yeah, I was just wondering your thoughts on, on if they fell short. But yeah, all excellent points from you guys there. Um, we'll move on next to talking a little bit about the the elite of the Premier League. Um, <laughs> don't worry, we're not going to talk ESL. Yeah, I guess I'll I guess I'll leave if we leave. Yeah, I guess me too, Stephen. You're just gonna have to carry the ship on your own. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but uh, yet again, just like two years ago, uh, three or more Premier League clubs have made it to a European final this season. And I'm just curious. Obviously, we don't have like the English connection because none of us live there. But do you take any pride in the fact that? Uh, multiple Premier League clubs keep making it this far in European competitions, or are you more apathetic in general towards the performance of, of other Premier League clubs in Europe? Uh, to, 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 a, to a point, um, I, I think I do, I do enjoy um, watch, watching the other English teams in Europe to some extent. I, I think that it, you know, it obviously builds the reputation of the league. 
Um, I think that it's a it's a really good. <laughs> I think sometimes it helps justify to yourself, you know, when you when you do have a bad season in the Premier League, and you can kind of look at uh, the, the the overall strength of the Premier League in comparison to other leagues, and you you can kind of say, okay, you know, like maybe you know we're sitting in fourth, fifth in the English Premier League, but it just you. It's sometimes not a good barometer of how actually good of a team you are. Sometimes I find your your league position in the Premier League. So, um, yeah, I, I do enjoy it for that point of view. But obviously, as a Chelsea fan, I would rather not be playing Manchester City in the final. I would have taken PSG any day. Um, <laughs> and I definitely didn't enjoy watching Liverpool win the Champions League a few years back. So, Nor did to, I. to a point. <laughs> oh, I don't take pride in it, per se. Um, though, like with Stephen, it is... Uh, not prideful, but kind of uh, makes me feel better about Arsenal not being as good because we are in a very tough league, I guess. Um, so I, I, I would not say I take pride in it. As you say, I'm not English. Um, and even if I was, I don't think I'd take that much pride in it. I I can never know for sure, but I, that just doesn't seem like something I'd do. Um, but it does, it, it is at least interesting that uh, I've seen a lot of people say the Premier League has fallen off because like teams don't have as many points as, or they don't, or either you have the last couple of years where City and Liverpool ran away with it, and people say, "Oh, the league fell off because they ran away with it." Or you get years like um, this year, 2015-16, where the point total isn't as high, and say, "Oh, the league fell off because whatever." Um, like there wasn't it's an elite, elite team. Yeah, it's interesting. People will say that, and then also like, guys, we keep making, or not we. I guess, I guess there is some pride in it saying we, but. Um, the English teams keep making European finals and keep doing extremely well in competitions with everyone in Europe. So clearly it's pretty good. The level of the Premier League is very, very high. Um, so I, I like it from that, from that, that I, it backs up my opinion that the Premier League is not only not falling off, but in one of its better, stronger positions in the last, you know, 10, 20 years. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, and obviously it's a very uh, ephemeral conversation, hard to hard to pin down a specific answer, but where do you think the Premier League ranks kind of among the big European five at present? Oh, but personally, I, I think I think it's um, easily the best. I, I think that, you know, obviously from a Chelsea fan, I got a really good look at La Liga uh, recently, and I think that the standard of the, those teams this season in the Champions League um, spoke for itself. I'd I think that we wiped the floor with them, to be honest. And uh, I think that, you know, that, that was even a Chelsea side that hadn't, in, especially in the Atletico Madrid match, it was a Chelsea side that hadn't quite built up to kind of what they are now, even coming into the last few weeks of the season as well. Um, and, you know, Atletico Madrid at that time were top of the league in La Liga. Um, I think that, you know, you're seeing, you're seeing PSG not quite able to get across the line as well. Uh, you, you know, there's, there's good teams across scattered across every league in Europe, obviously. Um, but I think what you would say about the Premier League is that the strength and depth of the teams, you know, having uh, teams like West Ham and Leicester um, and even Everton this season to some extent have performed quite well. Um, these are teams that, you know, I think would actually probably do pretty decently just in the Champions League in general if you look at their starting 11s. So, yeah, I think that it's quite obvious that the Premier League right now is the strongest in the world. And European Super League is uh, evidence of that because everybody wants us to join. Yeah, I think the last four or five years, it's been num pretty clearly number one uh, without a whole lot of question. I think there was a reason it was reasonable to question that um, prior to the City and Liverpool years, um, because there was as much as uh, the Premier League's had the depth for a while. There wasn't that those really top teams like maybe 
think they had four or five of the top 10, but no one in the top three. Now you can't even say that because, you know, City might be the best team in the world. Um, Chelsea have been up there lately. Liverpool have been the best team in the world for for um, a lot of the last three years. Um, I think it's so yeah, I think it's very clearly the best in the world right now. Um, and I don't think it's been that much of a question for the last couple of years, as much as it absolutely was in question um, for like the first half of the 2010s. Um, yeah, yeah, there was some Spanish dominance there for a while. Then Bayern and Dortmund kind of had their turn. But yeah, it definitely seems like the the percentage of teams in that upper echelon currently, uh, percentage-wise, England definitely has the uh, advantage at present. Uh, all right, now I will talk to you guys about the European Super League. Obviously, slash potentially, unfortunately, uh, depending on your guys' view of it, all three of our clubs were involved in the incredibly brief existence of the European Super League. Um, obviously, we all saw pictures of the protests and everything, but what did you or your fan base think about both the initial announcement and then the very ex- expedited withdrawal uh, from that air quotes competition? Well, that that had to be the craziest two days of, of football Twitter I've ever seen in my life. The Twitter That's content was phenomenal. It was incredible. It was, it top, was top tier. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was honestly. It, it was like a movie or something. It was. It was insane. Um, yeah. Well, p- personally, and you know, this will actually be really interesting coming from three foreign fans, I guess, because I suppose if you are one of these prospectors of the European Super League. We're probably your target, you know. We're, yeah. we're the we're the supposedly the fans that you know don't really have that much love for the for the classic English structure of the league and you know the Champions League and all these things. Um, but personally, I was infuriated by it. Um, I wrote a big article at the time, kind of exposing the key players behind it, and um, had a had really great dialogue with a lot of um, Chelsea supporters about kind of our position on it and. Um, the Chelsea supporters trust as well did a great job. This is just talking from a Chelsea standpoint, obviously, um, and uh, kind of organizing that protest. Obviously, the day you know you can argue who pulled out first was the city, was it Chelsea? Who knows? Um, but I, I was I was really proud with the reaction um, of the team. But it is kind of that <laughs> that thing where once once it's been done, you can't really undo it. And uh, I think that a lot of fans are going to hold these scars for a long time, knowing just knowing how how it was kind of all done slippery behind our back. It was kind of a thing where nobody really heard about anything happening with it. And then one day we all refreshed our Twitter feeds and there it was, the European Super League had popped out of nowhere. So I think that was the slimy way that it was kind of done behind our back. Um, and it was just the the disregard for any fan opinion about the subject as well that left a super bad sour taste in the mouth. Um, glad to be rid of it for now. Um, and hoping that Real Madrid, Barcelona and Juventus can uh, officially put the nail in the coffin as well. But with Perez so strongly attached to the project, who knows where this goes from here? Yeah, I was unhappy with it. I probably wasn't um, as furious as some. Or I, I did not like it, but I also knew in the back of my mind that I would probably get used to it if it happened and get over it. Um, but I did not like it and I'm happy it's dead uh, or mostly dead. Um, I like, as far as our fan base on the whole, uh, we were foaming at the mouth mad. Um, like figuratively and possibly literally, I don't really know. Um, uh, and it only fractured what was already a very bad relationship between, um, the fans and, uh, the Cronkies. Uh, as we saw, there were, uh, large protests outside uh, 
the Emirates for the Cronkies to go. I don't really think it will end up meaning anything, but it just kind of made a bad relationship even worse, which is not not a whole lot of fun for people who have to deal with that. But um, that's their fault. They did an incredibly stupid decision. And I'm honestly a bit insulted by just how poorly the whole thing was set up. Like if they really did this right, if they did this right, this would have worked. But they just they didn't do any planning. There was no plan for any of this. The biggest, the biggest indictment of that was the website. If any of you guys saw that, well, and while the it was, logo, uh, yeah, I, I, it was just atrocious. They didn't get any sponsorship like certainties. Like, come on, if you had the money, you could. This would have happened. Like, there's yep. not that much we can do. If they had the money, it happens. And they were just so wholly unprepared. And they were like, "Yeah, this will work. We said so." And it just like, come on. I'm honestly. I'm quite insulted by how poorly it was done. It was attempted because like, man, you really should have, this should have worked and you just screwed it up so badly. Like it was, it, it should have worked and somehow it wasn't even close to working because it was so poorly done. I'm honestly quite insulted by that. Well, I think part of what happened there was that um, it sounds like, and obviously everything we hear about this is probably coming from the Premier League clubs that backed out. But that they thought that there was like an exploratory thing going on into the idea of this and that they were caught off guard by both the launch of the website and by literally that night Florentino saying that they were going to start playing in August, Um, which I think is why it felt so half-baked is I think literally Real Madrid were like, it's next year. And everybody else was like, "Um, what? Um, But I'll (laughs) say from from a Tottenham perspective... Um, I, I fully agree with the fan reaction. It was also mine of like, yeah, this uh, is a really, really terrible idea. And Stephen, as you said, we were definitely the target demo because I was thinking they're probably just going to try to do what the ICC did, the International Champions Cup. Is that mm-hmm. what they called it? Where they like yes. travel to different cities. So like we'd get to yeah. see Tottenham versus Real Madrid in like November or something like that in New York or, or, or some kind of locale and that kind of idea. But yeah, obviously it went super poorly. But one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this was not just that I spent the last two weeks moving, so I wasn't able to come on, but uh, that Tottenham really needed this money. And so while as a fan, I, I'm right with you guys, I think it was a terrible idea. I, I do agree with you, Dan, that it probably would have worked if they had thought it through a bit more. <laughs> but with the stadium expenses, um, but then all of a sudden no ticket revenue with coming, hopefully, contracts for Kane and Son, or if not, then we're probably in even more trouble with a payout for Mourinho, which we fortunately got cut by a factor of 10 because Roma managed to hire him before the season even ended. Um, Tottenham just really are not in a good financial place. And I think what you're seeing with a lot of the clubs that were involved, maybe just barring City and Chelsea, is that the rest of them are kind of slipping in status, um, including Madrid, including Barcelona. We were just talking about how La Liga clearly not at the heights that it used to be. Uh, Juventus currently on track for a Europa League spot in Italy. PSG uh, struggling to, to get the title, currently three points back with, I think, just two matches left uh, for Lille. So it's a lot of these clubs that have been giants for a long time, plus Tottenham, um, that were trying to kind of just say, stop the count, sorry for the meme, um, while <laughs> these clubs are at the top. Because other clubs are catching up to them, like in Italy, like like what Atalanta are doing under Gasparini, or in England, where, like we were talking about, Rodgers continually pushing up there what West Ham have been able to accomplish this year. 
Um, it's just a whole bunch of clubs that haven't done enough to, to continue to establish their elite status. So they're just trying to stop anybody else from being able to get there. Because the money that was being talked about was absurd. And I think as a club, Tottenham probably needed that more than a lot of the other clubs involved. But um, as a fan, still glad it fell through. Uh, still curious to see how how Tottenham kind of get around the financial ramifications of it not ending up existing. Um, but you know, time time will all tell in that regard, I suppose. Um, <clears throat> there well, have so been someone of- I someone I follow on Twitter did make the point that the fact that this happened so quickly and seemed to be so half baked um, could suggest that there are there are real deep financial problems for a lot of these clubs, and this was their band aid. And now the bandit isn't there, and we may mm. see the um, the blood flowing out, um, because just with COVID and with um, those clubs being in horrible financial positions, some of them, um, I believe Milan, Madrid, Barca, and Juve are all in quite bad positions financially. Um, I don't know exactly how bad, but um, I think all of those teams have real problems. So, and this was their their fix. And without that fix, uh, we'll see how it goes for them in the next couple of years. Because I, I definitely believe that there could that this was a desperate move more than as much as an opportunist move. Um, I think there there may be some real problems for a lot of these clubs behind the scenes, which is why they wanted to do it now um, with COVID and all that. I think you can definitely see the clubs who are in the most financial trouble here because they're the ones who have kind of stuck to this through the fan kind of crusade against the project. Um, You know, you're seeing Real Madrid, Barcelona and Juventus still kind of holding on to this. And I think what you both said is really true about, you know, the fact that their status is dropping kind of year in, year out. If they they are unable to continue to compete at the highest level financially and, you know, these teams have no one to blame but themselves. You know, they they go out and they they splash the cash to kind of keep up with everyone else. And, um, you know, you can argue that the, that the whole game is imbalanced in that way and that the Premier League would obviously have a massive advantage if these teams didn't go out and spend. Um, but at the end of the day, you, you have to do what is financially right by the fans, the club, the, the entire kind of uh, sporting institution as a whole because you're not, you're not just talking about the continuation of, you know, Real Madrid at the top of La Liga. You're talking about, you know, hundreds, thousands of people's jobs day in, day out as well. Um, you're talking about millions of fans across the world who, you know, <laughs> they, they want Real Madrid to, to do well, I'm sure, in La Liga and the Champions League, but I, I, I bet a hell of a lot of more money that they want to just exist <laughs> as well. So uh, I think the, these clubs have been mismanaged for, for years, decades even, if you look at the case of Real Madrid and the Galacticos. Um, and I think now that this this was a desperate move from a lot of those clubs, and I think that this could have serious ramifications for a lot of teams. Are you telling me spending uh, more than 100 million on 30-year-old Eden Hazard wasn't a good financial decision? <laughs> I, I think I think the total fee they've paid to us so far is 169 million. Um, okay. So, yeah, let that. Uh, and I'm sorry, he's 30 now. He would have been like 28 at the time, but still. 28, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't think El Chiringuito TV is that happy with that decision. That's all I'll say. <laughs> what a rant that was. Um, uh, but yeah, I think weirdly, uh, <laughs> I was talking to, to my fiance when during the 48 hours that the ESL existed. Um, and she was asking what this probably meant for, for Harry Kane. And I was like, this is probably the worst possible thing that could happen. Because before, my argument was that nobody could afford him. And all of a sudden, all these big clubs were going to have 
an extra 250 to 400 million pounds slash euros, depending on what, what stories you were reading. Um, so weirdly, I think this does the opposite thing where if, if all these big clubs are in as financial trouble as they are, nobody can afford him. But then the problem is if Tottenham were one of the clubs in financial trouble and you can't afford to give him a new contract, but also nobody else can afford to buy him, then you're really screwing yourself because then you can't um, be able to, to get that big sum and reinvest. So it really basically narrows things down to PSG, City, and Chelsea. And Levy says he isn't selling in country. So we'll see uh, what I was, happens. I was going to say probably United as well, but that doesn't help with the selling in country thing. Ooh, I don't know if United actually have any money uh, based really? on some of the Glazer <laughs> protests. But... Uh, uh. Time will tell uh, for them. Um, All right, we will take a quick break and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, and we are back. Stephen, we'll keep going with you talking about Chelsea. Uh, Obviously a big win against Manchester City this weekend. Um, What do you think led to this win against a team that's basically uh, on route to winning the title? And what, if any, impact do you think it could have on the rematch, which obviously will occur in the Champions League final, as we alluded to earlier? Yeah, well, that, that's the big question, isn't it? Kind of um, how does how does this play out with the Champions League final in mind? Um, just talking about the win itself, it, it was a it was a really interesting game because going into it, you you might have thought that both teams would have played a a kind of an eleven that you'd expect to see in the Champions League final, uh, just kind of continue that momentum, but that both teams have had. Um, but both managers uh, elected to not play their starting eleven at all and um, I think Chelsea made like five changes Man City made something like eight or nine even changes to the starting 11 from the Champions League victories um, so what it was was kind of a, a test of the, the squad um, and just talking about the game in general Man City definitely had probably the best of the of the chances in the first half and I, I think that you just have to look at that Aguero uh, Penenka penalty I don't know what he was thinking there um, that obviously would have been a great chance for them to seal the title um, and I think with this Chelsea side, what you have to say is that if you give them a sniff, um, they will take their opportunities. And, and you saw you saw a lot of the reactions kind of going into halftime from the Chelsea players, from Thomas Tuchel and his staff. Um, they looked really invigorated after that penalty save from Edouard Mendy. Um, and I, I think that you could tell that they kind of smelt that there was a chance there at, in that game. And um, yeah, I, I, I do think that Pep has has the has this in him, this kind of odd performance where 
he puts out a lineup that just doesn't kind of look right. He, you know, is he he just kind of does fumble the bag sometimes in terms of these tactical performances. Like if if you send out your best man to the eleven in that game, you win the title. I think that going into that Champions League final, I think that you have a lot of momentum. You know, you probably don't have to play your big players in the run-in. Um, I think City have got a few easy fixtures as well. Um, in this run-in, you can rest players. You can kind of build uh, build the, build those squad players up for the final and see if anyone performs those last few games and breaks their way into the team. But by kind of swapping the team just to your your B side for for a game where you know. <laughs> You may say the title's already wrapped up, but you can win it there and then on that day, I think was a big missed opportunity for them. In terms of the Chelsea side of things, um, obviously the the win itself was probably slightly fortuitous, um, <laughs> winning it in the last minute with Alonso, just one of the most clutch <laughs> players ever somehow. Um, the I think it's it, it will be good for our momentum, just kind of especially for that kind of B squad mentality, just kind of getting a few of those guys playing. Seeing ZX score a goal obviously was really, really great for us as well. He's been someone who's been kind of getting a lot more opportunities off the bench. Kristen Pulisic as well, looking quite good. Reese James had a man on match performance. So a few of these guys who didn't start the Real Madrid game all kind of uh, were able to perform at a level where we can now see that they can compete with you know these City players. So. I think it does build up major confidence for the final. Um, it does kind of scare me knowing that we've beaten them twice in the in the last month. Um, you know, we've probably just uh, poked the sleeping bear to some extent. Um, so I, I think that everything is on the line now for the for this final. It was anyway, but um, I I would obviously have rather won these games going into it than losing them as well. So I think this Chelsea team does seem to feed off confidence, and I think that. Uh, the last few months of games and, you know, the clean sheets as well that we've been keeping, obviously didn't keep a clean sheet in this game, but in general, been keeping clean sheets a lot, I think has been really building a lot of confidence in this team. And I, you know, I, I don't want to jinx it, but I do think we are in a great position coming into this final. Yeah, I totally agree with the, with the momentum thing. It feels good to see yourself beat a team like that. Cause then you know that you can. Um, so I totally agree with, with, uh, that side of it and with Pep maybe uh, maybe overthinking it a touch, which a lot of people accuse him of, but he just showed that that wasn't an issue with him in the PSG match after being kind of labeled that way for a long time as that kind of like almost man when it comes to the European competitions. But yeah, I definitely agree with you. I'd, I'd much rather be the team that it was coming off a win than the one that wasn't, even if it meant that you got to preserve some of your uh, more interesting tactical ideas. But Guardiola, while being an expert tactician, doesn't really mix things up all that much. It tends to stay at least in the same family of ideas. So uh, I'm not really sure how much uh, benefit came from this risk, which obviously uh, did not pay off in the short term at the least. Um, I also wanted to talk about another big win uh, for Chelsea. Obviously, we're big fans of the, the women's game here on the show, and you secured yet another title. Just wanted to talk to you a little bit about that and the manager who is currently drawing a, a lot of praise in the media. Yeah, absolutely. So, like you alluded to, uh, Kevin, the the women Chelsea women's side beat Reading five nil on the final day of the season in the WSL, and uh, Emma Hayes' side lifted the lifted the title. Um, so that was obviously a great day for the club. Um, yeah, and like you say as well, Emma Emma Hayes herself, I think, deserves massive credit for this because this is back to back titles now. I think it's her fourth uh, women's Super League title at the club as well. So. 
she's probably one of she is the most successful manager in any Chelsea manager in history. So um, she's a, that's obviously something we can all get behind. Um, and I just I mean just looking at this team as well, it's it's just such a it's such a great team. They've they've got people like uh, Francesca Kirby who's just had her all time best season as well, and um, Samantha Kerr who is actually from my hometown in Australia. So oh, seeing cool. someone from <laughs> Seeing someone from my hometown play um, up front for a Chelsea side and winning a title and playing so well is obviously just great. It's awesome. Um, and obviously, as well, I have to say that the Chelsea women's side are in the Champions League final as well. First time in history that um, the men's and the women's side have been in the Champions League final in the same year. Um, so that's, and yeah, it, it, everything's looking really, really good for that side at the moment. They play Barcelona on May the 16th, so less than a week from now. And, uh, yeah, just wishing them all the best going into that final. I'll be watching. Yeah, a lot of really talented players in that Barcelona side as well. Um, I think mm-hmm. Jenny Hermoso, right, that, that plays for the Spanish national yeah. team as well. Um, so, yeah, if, if people can figure out how to watch it, which is always the issue with the women's game, if you can figure out how to watch that final, it'll definitely be worth a watch with the, some of the biggest stars in the women's game all facing one another. Uh, and then I'll finish up talking uh, Chelsea with you uh, a little bit about Tuchel, who obviously you mentioned there, obviously has improved the defense a lot. But when he was hired, a lot of the talk was he was kind of being brought in to resuscitate some of your summer signings, uh, most notably Werner and, and uh Havertz, who, who weren't really hitting the ground running previously under Frank Lampard. Uh, Havertz has kind of turned things around quietly. Of late, Timo Werner always involved, although it seems he doesn't really understand the concept of offside. But I was just curious if you felt he'd kind of passed the standard in that regard of getting the most out of maybe the Germans or, or the rest of your summer signings. Yeah, well, I have to I have to be honest a bit. I have to expose myself a little bit here because um, when Tuchel was first appointed, I, I, I wasn't fully on board with it as a fan. I... I you know, I, I'd seen what he what he'd done at obviously PSG and Dortmunds and his might side as well, but uh, so, something about him didn't scream exactly what we needed. You know, Tuchel's reputation in Europe was as this kind of um, obviously he had a reputation as like a Gagan Press kind of student. You know, the same mold as like a Ragnick or a or a, a Jurgen Klopp and the Nagelsmann, these kind of guys, and creating this attacking free flowing football and. Um, it was something that we didn't really struggle with under Lampard was scoring goals. Ironically, it was obviously the defense. Um, and what I've been really impressed with Tuchel is that he's kind of come in and done the opposite to what I expect him to do. He's reverted to more of like a Conte kind of three at the back style. Um, but having these, these, these fullbacks pushed so far on that it doesn't really ever feel like a five at the back like it did under Conte. It feels like a true three, four, three. Um, it, uh, He's just done. He's done really well, just tightening up their defence. Um, obviously, our goal scoring, as I'm sure has been well documented across all of Europe, could be a lot better. And our chance scoring to our chance creation does not level out at all. But um, definitely, like you say, he has kind of got a tune out of our Werner and Habits. And um, uh, Werner's obviously a, a kind of a basket case player this season to some extent. He's you know the open goal missed chances that he's that he's had is just ridiculous, and I think that you'd have to say that just looking at it objectively, he has been quite disappointing in that regard. But also, he's probably going to end the season with something like 25 goal contributions in all competitions. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know kind of what maybe we expected. Maybe we were expecting this kind of 30 goal scoring guy a season. I don't know anymore. Um, but probably the big one you'd have to say is habits because. I think that under under Lampard, the main criticism that I would give Lampard, obviously I love the guy to death, 
but the big criticism I'd give him with habits is that I don't think that he ever really found habits his best position. Um, he tried playing him at first on the right wing, which just looked really awkward. It didn't look like it suited him at all. Then he dropped him back into this kind of eight, which is what a lot of people think that maybe his long-term position will be in a team, but he didn't really have the the tenacity to kind of continue to press in the same way that a Mason Mount looked incredible at in the, those kind of similar positions. Um, so what Tuchel was done by just kind of putting him in this position, this kind of false nine position that he played so well at, obviously in Germany and Leverkusen towards the back end of last season has really brought out the best in him. And I think that um, he's, what I would actually say is he's kind of played in a similar way to what I've been used to seeing from like a Firmino in the last few years, um, which is kind of obviously hold up the ball, play in for like a Werner and uh, Mount recently on that right-hand side, of course, which as well. And just kind of like link the play and be be also just a focal point for the team, which is, um, yeah, just something that we've, we've sorely lacked, especially when we tried playing Werner um, in those positions on the odd occasion this season as well. So... I've been really impressed with with Tuchel. Obviously, I think that he's done an incredible thing in <laughs> getting this side into the Champions League final. Not what I expected from the season if you had asked me in January at all. If anything, I think he's come into a side where you, you, you've got experienced winners in this team. Cesar Spilicueta and Golo Kante. Um, Thiago Silva, obviously, being brought to the club this summer. So I think a lot of these players have played key roles in kind of getting this side back to where it should be. Gotcha. Well, uh, with much chagrin, I will uh, congratulate you on what has <laughs> turned out to be a pretty decent season. We were even talking before the show. It's It's been a bit topsy-turvy, but it's better than the uh, kind yeah. of constant uh, poor performances that we've seen from some of the other clubs around you. And like you said, made it to the Champions League final when not many people expected that at the start of the year or even in the middle of it. So uh, well done you, I guess. <laughs> we'll come to you now, Dan, <laughs> to talk a little bit about Arsenal. Um, there have been a lot of criticisms made about Arsenal's season thus far. Obviously not anywhere near where you'd like to be, although it's uh, to your credit that in the offseason you said that Dave and I were being a little bit too generous um, about some of the stuff that you had done in the offseason. So maybe this isn't a big surprise to you. But like I said, criticisms are abound. But it seems like not a lot of it is sticking to Arteta for some reason. It'll either go to the players or it'll go to ownership. I'm just curious which things and how much of your struggles do you think are specifically Arteta's fault, kind of unrelated to the other two, if possible? Um, I'd say our inability to attack and just the general lack of um speed that we play with is pretty clearly an Arteta philosophy. Like that's some that's on purpose. Um a, a, a big thing is we have a lot of slow buildup. Um and then eventually I think the goal is to eventually build up very slowly and then speed up when we're in like the penalty box area, but we very rarely get to that point. Um and it just means we don't attack very well. We've never had a, con- a good attack under Arteta um at any time he's been here uh it so that's a pretty huge criticism of him considering the players we have with Bakayo Saka and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Lacazette, um Emil Smith-Rowe, Martin Odegaard, Nicolas Pepe etc um as, as much as I think some of those players um some aren't what they used to be and some maybe we may pay a bit more money than uh, we should have for one in particular um <laughs> They're still not. They're better attacking players than our output would suggest. Um, 
like as a team, we have 46 goals in the season, and it's not like we've been incredibly unlucky. We have 49 expected goals, but which is you know a slight underperformance, but not it's not like if we had 49 goals, I'd be happy with it. Um, it's nowhere near a top level attack um, with maybe players that aren't at the top level, but also aren't as poor as we've been. Um, so I'd say just the general inability to well, score goals, which is pretty important in this game. Um, that is not whole. Nothing is wholly a coach's fault because players are just more important. But I think that's a pretty obvious point where we struggle due to the um, philosophy and the tactics that he intentionally tries to um, play with. I think that that is a pretty clear uh, thing that it, that does fall back on Arteta more more so than the players and more so much more so than the ownership. Gotcha. Obviously, you um, <laughs> name dropped without name dropping uh, Aubameyang there, who you obviously gave a, a large sum of money to recently. Obviously, has struggled this year. A recent article came out where he kind of dis- discussed his uh, battle with malaria this season and everything going on around the pandemic and stuff. Um, obviously, from a human side, that that is kind of explained some of his struggles. Do you, do you think that that has heavily exacerbated? kind of the the negative narrative surrounding him. I, I know you didn't think it was a good contract at the time, but do you think maybe people have gone a little bit too far and have shielded themselves away from the personal aspect? People have always been weird about Aubameyang. I've never got it because he's a he seems like a great dude. Um a bit can be a bit like corny at times, but who cares? Like he definitely not bad. Like absolute worst thing I could describe him is corny, but like he seems like a good dude. Um and people really don't like him for some reason. Uh, even when he was good, it was kind of like there was almost a begrudging um, admiration for him. And I, I don't know why at well, all. XG people um, don't like him because he, he uh, often outperforms it. He, doesn't, he actually doesn't. He outperformed it last season. But you, on, on the whole for his career, he has not been that guy. Um, it was more just like people. I, I think the issues with him was more pe- people thought he was better than he was last season, particularly because he overperformed it. But um, uh regardless not talking about that um i think he's he struggled before the malaria he's actually did better the second half of the season um i don't know how i did not read the article so i don't know how the covid stuff specifically has impacted him but um i I think he's just had a, a a season that is not shocking for an aging striker um and i think personal criticism is extremely unfair i think he absolutely works his ass off and i think he gives it all all the time. I definitely don't think this is a, he's just lazy and he got his money. So he doesn't care anymore thing. Um, he's just aging. And like, I, I said this at the time we offered him the contract, there's been a clear decline in his underlying numbers specifically, uh, for the past four seasons. Now, as I, and as a grant, as I said at the time, that also coincided with the team's getting worse. So is that on him? Is that because the teams are bad or because he's old or both? I didn't know at the time. Um, I, I still can't be sure now because the team has continued to get worse, but um, I, I definitely think it's at least both. Um, he's he's getting older and he's getting worse. That's how that works. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think it's for lack of trying. I don't think it's for lack of, it's, you know, hyper-masculine uh, I, or leadership or whatever. I, I just think he's getting older and that happens. And that's something we as a club should have accounted for. Um, and I don't think we did. Uh, so I, I can't blame him for it. 
Gotcha. Well, somebody at the other end of the age spectrum, uh, Nicholas Pepe hasn't particularly impressed since joining, but seven goals and two assists isn't too bad in all competition since the turn of the year, since the start of 2021. Do you think this is in any way kind of a turning point for him to kind of uh, resuscitate his Arsenal career, which has kind of seen him miss out of a lot of matches for other players at that right wing spot? Or do you think this is just kind of a, a blip in an overall disappointing trend? I'd be more optimistic if he was further on the other end of the age spectrum um, because he's not as young as you'd think. Um, I believe he is, he's either about to turn 26 or is already 26. Um, He turns 26 at the end of the month. Um, So if he was like 22, 22, 23, I would be much more optimistic, Um, but he's not. So I, he's been good in the Europa League this season, but his Premier League numbers are still pretty average. Um, he scored he scored a great goal today, but um, not that it doesn't encourage me. Goals are always good, but and and that was a gorgeous goal to watch. Incredible skill to convert it, but it's not something that you can expect to get consistently. Like you, if if you only score screamers and you're supposed to score goals, that's probably not good um, because screamers are screamers for a reason. They don't happen that often. Um, and when your whole, your best attribute for teams, your goal scoring. And I, I, not that I don't care if you score gorgeous goals, do it like that's great. Um, but that's not something that's going to turn my opinion on you. Like that is a great thing to have in your locker. But if that's the best thing you have in your locker, that's really bad, um, especially, and even taking out the fee. Just as a 26-year-old attacker, um, you, you just need to be getting better shots. And that, those aren't the things that encourage me. It'd be more encouraging if he scored a tap-in from the penalty from the uh, penalty spot. That'd be much more encouraging to me than um, scoring these, these screamers that he does every once in a while. Um, so as far as him in the hole, I am, I'd say he's had a slightly better second season than first, but still, um, I mean, we, we can forget about him trying to justify the fee we just have to we just have to forget about that that's not going to happen um it's just about trying to be a positive attacker i'm still not sure he's that so again not great but um i i don't think he's as bad as he was last season but i think he's only marginally better gotcha well, uh, <laughs> sounds like a lot of disappointing players there. So uh, maybe we'll just stick with you as we head into Player Watch. We're going to discuss uh, players that might be on the way out of our clubs come the, the transfer window. So yeah, Dan, let's start with you and Arsenal. It seems like uh, you might have quite the list based on some of your comments just now. I, uh, the difference between players that will leave and, we, and I want to leave um, are very different. Um, because there's there there are some young players like such as Bakayo Saka and Emil Smith Rowe, um, those are the main two. Uh, oh, also also Gabriel Martinelli, who I am very very optimistic with um, and think are can be very good, and I like them. And uh, there are some others as well. Kieran Tierney, I like he can stay. Um, Thomas Party, I, I I've been pretty underwhelmed with, but we just signed him, so he's staying. Um, and I don't hate that he's still probably our best midfielder, even if I don't think um, it's a very good signing. He is at least a pretty good player. Um, but a lot of the, a lot of players, I would just be like, yeah, you can leave, you can leave, you can leave. But that doesn't mean they will. Um, such like um, Willian, for one, I would love love to get rid of Willian. That's not happening. He's on too much money. He's too old. We're not going to move him. Um, you suck uh, one for of them. 
Well, yeah, we are absolutely stuck with him. And it's so, so frustrating how incredibly predictable that was. Because, uh, uh, I mean, you can go back on this podcast and see me and listen to me be very unhappy with um, with the signing of him because it was so obviously not going to work. Um, he was, eh, it, it never made sense under any circumstance. And we did it anyway, which is frustrating. But um, people like such as him, uh, such as even Rob Holding, who just signed a new contract, Callum Chambers, lots of center backs in particular who are quite average. And I would love to move on, but we won't be able to because they're on too much money and no one's going to pay for them. Cedric Suarez, not a center back, but another defender who is in a similar position. Um, so there are lots of players I would like to get rid of um, as far as players I actually think are going to move on. Um Hector Bellerin is my favorite player at the club right now, but it looks like there's a good chance he will leave, which um, my heart is very sad about. But if we get significant money for him, my head knows that's probably a decent deal. Um, he's He's been the one who's linked away most often. I think Lacazette, there's a good chance he leaves. I'm really concerned we're going to give him an extension and do the same thing we just did with Aubameyang. But I, I, I hope he leaves and not because he's bad, just because the age doesn't make sense to extend him. Um, and I'd rather get something for him now than nothing for him at the end of his contract. Um, those are probably the two I'm most, com- I'm most confident in seeing either a, a sale or an extension in Lacazette's case. Um, I do think still sale is more likely. Um, and there's lots of players I want to leave, but I don't know how many actually will. Gotcha. And then coming to you, Stephen, any uh, pending outgoings from Chelsea? It seems like on the other end, uh, you're about to get Thiago Silva to come back. Yeah, well, ho- hopefully that is one of the first things that we do is, is re-sign Thiago Silva for another season. I think that um, Mauricio Romano has been reporting that it's it's been pretty close for a while, and I think it's just a matter of time on that one. So that's some positive news. Um, on the on the outgoing, I think there are a couple of predictable ones. I think um, Emerson Palmieri will, will almost certainly be leaving the club. Um, which is a bit of a shame because I, I think that um, if he, I do, I do think that he would have made a really good kind of uh, deputy for Chilwell, but I just, I, I think just with what you've seen, even just in this past week, um, with what Alonso does offer is kind of that X factor, that kind of clutch goal, um, and I think that that's just something that Emerson can't compete with. So I do think we probably will be uh, seeing him leave, um, and a few other players I think that have just kind of been bloating the squad. For a while, because even though I, I am really happy with our depth at the moment, I do think that we there are a lot of positions that are kind of overfilled to some extent. I, I would expect to see definitely Olivia Giroud leave the club, um, and if we are going to sign a striker, which it does look like we are, I would probably also sadly expect to see Tammy Abraham leave the club as well. Um, he has. Could we have really... him, please? <laughs> uh, 50, 60 mil, maybe, but no. Oh God, no. <laughs> um, um yeah uh it's so sad with tammy because i I, honestly i i genuinely think that whoever he goes to he's going to become one of the best strikers in the premier league i think the guy just is just such an elite goal scorer um and if he is really given the chance to flourish then he he will score goals i I think it is just as simple as that play tammy up front get the balls into him he will put it away he's he's a good finisher and he's he's still super young for a striker of his kind of type usually you know these kind of these bigger guys they they start scoring a lot of goals into their late 20s and i think that yeah whatever team kind of invests in him will reap the rewards sadly and it won't be chelsea more than likely now yeah he's phenomenal um, so, I, w- I would happily yeah, pay I 60 million for him but we probably don't have that so 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, the ironic thing is that, yeah, I, I do think he would actually do well at Arsenal. And I think if you do dig deep into his background, I do think actually a lot of his family are Arsenal fans. Um, so, you know, maybe on the cards, maybe not. I, I would probably doubt us selling someone like that to, to you guys, unfortunately for you. Um, but yeah, uh, apart from, apart from that, um, if we do sign a center back, I'd probably expect Kurt Zuma to go, but I probably at this stage, looking at his goal contributions and him as just a backup player in general, I, I probably wouldn't sign a center back. So I wouldn't get rid of him either. Um, so yeah, it'd probably just be those, those main two up front that I'd expect to leave Giroud and Abraham and Emerson as well. Um, and that'd probably, probably be our outgoings, I'd say. Gotcha. Well, it seems like Arsenal on all of your old players, Tottenham on all of your ex-managers, uh, must feel like a pretty, pretty interesting time as a Chelsea fan watching everybody that leaves your club be wanted by uh, in-city rivals uh, with fans that also come on this show. Um, uh, obviously, you just, the you, uh, you just get to keep tabs on them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I feel you like and this I is an unfair that. deal where we don't get Tammy Abraham, but we get William. I feel like we're getting a short end of the stick here. Well, I mean, that's absolutely fair. I don't want to miss out on some of our other managerial targets just because we had Jose. But, you know, at a certain point, you know, maybe just stop picking up the phone from uh, ex-Chelsea people in general. But obviously that's not where the links end on this show because next match you guys are going to be facing each other in the Premier League. So, uh, Stephen, we'll start off with you. What are you expecting from this one? Yeah, uh, sorry, Dan. I, I, I do expect us to probably capitulate this um to continue our good form and and to to win this game, I I think that we'll probably see our, our full strength side back, and we'll just kind of get this momentum building into the FA Cup final. And uh, I I think that Tuchel is going to set at a very clear target from this point to to win every single game to the end of the season. I think that uh, obviously up until the Man City game, I think that if you look at our fixtures, we we can set that goal and have it be achievable. I I also think that talking about what we talked about earlier, if we do win the game against Arsenal, I would pretty reasonably say that top four would be locked at that point then. Um, so that's something we should be aiming to do. Hopefully the team's focus isn't kind of drifting to those later games and we can kind of focus up on this game because as we've seen already this season, you know, Chelsea aren't averse to letting Arsenal just absolutely dunk us when we want to. So um, we'll definitely need to be at full attention because it's probably is... I, I guess we'll have to find it from Dan after, but it probably is a little bit of a free hit for Arsenal, I suppose, um, which is obviously dangerous because those are kind of the the games where Chelsea do seem to to slip up, looking at the West Brom games this season, when teams just kind of identify us as this team where they can just, just go all out against, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I expect to win. I think that this team is good enough to go win and probably to win well with Arsenal's current kind of predicament and form. Um, but I wouldn't rule out an absolute crazy thing. Yeah, I'm expecting pain. Lots of pain. <laughs> and, and our all-out is taking 25 passes to get up the pitch instead of 30. So, uh, you, yeah, I, I don't know. He might be all right. Um, uh, I, I, I have no expectations of this game. If we get something, I, I, it does... <laughs> It doesn't even really matter. Like our season's done. It's it was done with when the Europa League and when we went out of Europa League on Thursday. Um, there's really nothing for us to play for, and there's absolutely something for Chelsea to play for. And they're a better team than us, so I'm I'm not expecting anything. Um, granted, I wasn't expecting anything when we played uh, Chelsea earlier, and we somehow beat them. So uh, anything's possible, but uh, expectations-wise, they're low, and I'm expecting a lot of pain. 
<laughs> gotcha. And <laughs> the one way you avoided pain is I didn't bring up the Europa League on the show. So uh, do, never say <laughs> that I'm not benevolent. <laughs> Yes, um, Kevin has saved me. Thank you. <laughs> you are quite welcome. Doing a lot better than Mikel Arteta with that. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll, we'll leave things uh, there. So uh, if you guys would like to tell folks so they can find you or anything you've been working on, now would be a great time. Yeah, so as I mentioned at the top of the show, you can find me on Twitter at StephenClark264, where I've been dropping recently a lot of articles talking about the aforementioned Super League and uh, the upturn in Chelsea's form at the end of the season. And uh I'd be expecting to be tweeting a lot, hopefully for a great end of the season where we can hopefully win the Champions League. So yeah, you can find me there. Yeah, thanks for listening. And you can find me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. And uh, there will be lots of pain fat Chelsea game. But hey, normally I'm not I'm not a terrible follow. So And you're a decent human being, as I once so famously said. Decent human being. And is in your bio. (laughs) (laughs) I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show on Twitter at EPL Roundtable. And obviously, you can find it on all of your podcasting apps under the name EPL Roundtable, which you likely had to do in order to hear me saying this right now. So, well done, you. But uh, thanks to you two so much for joining me today. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.